Why with Rob is your best choice when purchasing your new home in the Puget Sound area. Call 360-710-9425 today and get started on the best home buying experience you will ever have. Go to buywithrob.com today. Hello? Podcasts are verbal narcissism for ugly journalists. Hello? Can I talk to Mr. David? Dave Bowman? Approach and identify. Hello? Your work is puerile and underdramatized. You lack any sense of structure, character, or the Aristotelian unities. Young lady, I am getting just a tad tired of your attitude problem. The problem with cotton candy is you, gonna... you can't eat it clean. No. You're dirty no matter what. Bad Battle Station's Bissell. Chief of Watch on the General Alarm. From the Buy With Rob studio, located in beautiful Silverdale, Washington, this is the Dave Bowman Show. Now, here is your submarine-qualified, well-coffeed, stuffy, elitist history buff host, Dave Bowman. Well, it's coming here for the fire. Well, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about the laws of gravity. My favorite day of the year. Candy, friends, breathing. Let's not talk about politics in the news today. It's Halloween. Let's have some fun. Don't touch that dial. Just try to hear me out for a while. October 31st is many things to many people. Yes, it's Halloween. My kids and my grandkids are excited. They're all going to be here today. And I'm pretty happy about that. Yes, it has religious significance. Yes, it means the calendar is about to roll into bleak November. But it is my favorite day of the year. Just breathe. You'll understand why. Here's how you get a hold of me. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. It's also the voicemail machine, 209-565-3283. Email remains dave at thedavebowmanshow.com. And, of course, we're on the web Look for the Dave Bowman Show.com. Or on Facebook and Twitter, just look for the Dave Bowman Show. On iTunes, we're under the Dave Bowman Show. You can download the show every day there and it'd be nice if you give us a rating and a and a review. That would help. And uh, of course we're on the web at the Dave Bowman Show.com and podcast99.org. A loquy conizio, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. It's my favorite day of the year. I know you you might think it would be opening day of baseball or July 4th, which is my favorite holiday. You might might think those things, but October 31st has very special significance to me for a lot of reasons. One of which is it's one of my best friend's birthday, uh, Sean Bagby. It's his birthday, so happy birthday, Sean. Sean is, uh, I don't know, you ever have those friends... You know what I'm talking about. Those friends that... that it, it doesn't matter how long it's been since you've seen them, since you've talked, since you've had a conversation. None of those things matter. As soon as you're back together again, it's like you never... It, 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 it's like you just pick up right where you left off. It's it, it's that kind of... I, I was... I was surprised by it, but not surprised by it uh, during the reunion back in in June when we all got together for the first time. And that's the first time I'd seen Sean since 1987. We had talked, obviously we had communicated since then, since Facebook came around. Thank goodness. Um, 
we'd not seen each other or sat at the table together or anything like that since 1987. And when the three of us uh, that, that first got together, myself, Sean, and, and Dave, Ange, who, by the way, owns a bar here. I, I didn't know that for the, for the first year I was here. I didn't know he owned a bar. Um, I didn't know he was here. Anyway, uh, when, we, when we sat down at lunch one day and kind of a day before the reunion started, it was like we had just gotten off watch. I mean, it just picked up right there and, and kept going. And there are people in my life that I know that I would take a bullet for because I know they would take a bullet for me, probably. Uh, I, I, I know that if if I really needed help, assistance, whatever, they would be there. And Sean is one of those guys. And so it was great to see him again in June at the reunion. It was uh, it was a joy to see all of my shipmates. I mean. I'd, I'd name them all off, but it's A, it's not their birthday, and B, I'd be afraid of forgetting somebody. I really would. And so I don't want to do that. But getting to, getting to sit down with, with those people again was, uh, was fantastic. But it was also a reminder of why this day, October 31st, is so precious to me. And we're going to talk about that rather extensively at the bottom of the hour. So if you want to hear sea stories, that's... Uh, that's when we'll be doing that. We'll tell you the story of October 31st, 1986, the day that, I don't know, maybe we were lucky. Maybe we, I, I prefer to think we were just really good. Um, my counterpart on the Blue Crew of USS Michigan, Greg Thompson, once told me, quote, Dave, I'm glad it was you guys because I don't know that we would have come back. So I kind of take the assumption it's that we were that good. Uh, but the fact of the matter is every time October 31st rolls around, I'm still breathing, and it was very possible on this day, 32 years ago, that I might not have had things gone slightly differently or much differently. Possible. It was uh, it was poignant, I guess, that uh, during the reunion, the 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 Cobb, the chief of the boat, Bill Acord, gave his uh, speech, and he brought that up again. That that's. Uh, that was the moment we really became a crew. It was, the, it was the moment when all of that training, all of that stuff came to came to its fruition and saved our lives. And I'm here today talking to you good people because of that. And so I don't look at it as my birthday besides it's Sean's birthday. So we, sh- we should be getting, we should be drinking, but he ain't here. So he's back in Indiana. Um, but it's uh, it's certainly kind of a birthday. It's certainly a reminder the preciousness of life and that very fine line between being here and not being here and enjoying the moment. I got, we got, uh, all of our kids I think are going to be here tonight. If I understand things right, it's possible that one might not be here, but, but as I understand all the kids are going to be here tonight, Benjamin has his costume. He's very excited about Halloween and he's most excited because the grandkids, all of the grandkids will be here. We currently have three grandkids and one on the way. One is. Not here yet, but uh, he will be soon. Soon, I don't see they 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 throw these numbers at my wife is a you know L and D person, so she throws these numbers at me, and I don't know what they mean. Uh, she's twenty four weeks along, so what's the what's the net sum total forty forty weeks or something like that? Uh, at any rate, my uh, my next grandson will be here shortly, I and mean, that's that's what that comes down to, and um, so we're pretty excited about that. We are looking forward to 
to the night, to the holiday tonight, which I know is, it's one of those holidays that's controversial. Some people want to make it something that it isn't. Some people want to make it something that it, that it is. Some people, some people just want to have fun. And that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I'm going to have three of my grandkids, my, my, my four or five kids, my wife is going to be home tonight, which is unusual. My neighbors are got all their kids are home and we're just going to have some fun. And I'm still debating. I haven't decided yet whether or not I'm going to set up the wine table outside. It's supposed to pour rain. So I don't know if I want to, I'd love to do it, but it's going to be pouring rain, which means that I have to put it on the porch, which I love my porch, but it's just not really wide enough for all that. And I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, kind of, uh, and a six of one half dozen the other at this point as to whether or not I should do it. I might just sit out there with a glass of whiskey and enjoy the night, handing out candy. That's my job. I get to hand out the candy, which is cool. That way I don't have to walk miles with all the kids. And we do, uh, we have a Halloween tradition in our family of the, the decorating of the Halloween cookies. So I got to go pick up the cookies here in a bit to go to make sure we have that. Make sure we're ready for all this stuff and, and enjoy the evening. And I'm hoping that you will, too, enjoy your evening and uh, celebrate, you know, fun and safe, you know, be safe and all that stuff. And enjoy, enjoy the day. And everything that I say from now until the bottom of the hour is my opinion. So, so enjoy it. The best part about Halloween, of course, is the candy. I love the candy. You know what I miss? I miss having... Well, I miss having John here to do, to do, to talk candy and top five and stuff like that. You know, Kai and I used to do a thing, don't be that house or be that house. And we would talk about the various kinds of things that people would give out and, and, you know, what you shouldn't give out. And, and that was fun. But for me, it's candy. I, we have two big boxes of candy, two big bowls of candy downstairs, which of course I have been snacking on for a week because we bought it early. But these are my three, three of my, my top four, I guess. These are Milky Ways. I don't know what it is as I've gotten older. When I was a kid, I didn't really like Milky Way. But as I've gotten older, I really have come to appreciate Milky Way. Three Musketeers is one of those bars that when I was a kid, I despised. I was convinced that that center was marshmallow. And I hate marshmallow. I mean, <laughs> there aren't words to express how much I hate marshmallow. Marshmallow will make me... There are three things that will make me throw up instantaneously. And marshmallow is one of them. I'm not going to tell you what the other two are because I don't know what you're up to. You might, uh, you might decide to try to slip one of those things into me, and I want to protect myself. So, but there are three things that will make me instantaneously gag and throw up, and marshmallow is one of them. I was just convinced that Three Musketeers was full of marshmallows. I don't know why. It wasn't until I was an adult that I finally read the ingredients and went, oh, wait. Um... Three Musketeers is not marshmallow. That actually tastes pretty good. And, of course, Snickers is the best of the candy bars. Snickers is... My mother, when I was on the submarine, once sent me an entire box, like a box of cases. You know the the, the cases that they put at the store that hold like 24 of these things? She sent me a box of cases of Snickers bars. I had like 400 Snickers bars. And and, and not the fun size either. These were the full-size Snickers bars in in my barracks room. Man, I couldldn't give those things away fast enough. I could, there was no way I could eat them all, but but uh, I sure like them. Snickers is still one of my favorites, and I actually try to limit myself on the Snickers because I, I want them to last a long time. 
So by combining them with the Milky Way and the Three Musketeers, they go. But the best candy of all is, of course, the York Peppermint Patty. That the York Peppermint Patty is hands down my favorite candy. It always has been. It probably always will be. I do not eat a lot of it. I don't eat it very often just because I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to overdo it. So, and I don't give them away on Halloween because if I've got a bag of York peppermint patties and what I, what I really like are the fun size, York, the big ones are good. Put those in the freezer. And, but if I have the little ones, I can throw those in the refrigerator and then just eat them, you know, pop one here and there. But the York peppermint patty, in my view, is the best candy. I know I won't give them out on Halloween because I don't want to give them to somebody else. I do not wish to share. That make me a bad person because I don't want to share my, my Halloween candy. Does that, does that make me bad? Does that make me evil because I won't share my York peppermint patties with people? I don't even have any right now. I will in about two hours when I get done with this and get everything uploaded and I head down to the store to get the cookies and I guess we're out of gasoline in the truck, so I got to gas up the truck and a couple other things, but we'll, we'll, we will have some York peppermint patties after that. And that's um, that's my favorite candy, man. <laughs> you put a bunch of York peppermint patties in front of me and I am, uh, well, I'm a happy camper. And you know, one of the weird thing about was that, uh, that October, that October of 1986 is I had, uh, I had bought prior to leaving on patrol, I had purchased a, a huge bag of York peppermint patties to take with me. And I'd forgotten them. I'd left them at home and we pulled in to do a personnel transfer. You know, we go out for three or four days first and then kind of work up, show off for the, for the, for the squadron 17 and group nine staff and that kind of stuff and check some things. And anyway, we pulled back in to, to transfer them up. We don't come all the way back in. We just come into Port Angeles and we were transferring them off. And apparently somehow or another, the people that, that I lived with at the time managed to get those to the folks that were coming out the boat and they sent them out to me and it was fantastic. I was so happy. So that whole patrol I had, I had my York peppermint patties that I could snack on here and there. And of course they all got ruined in the incident that happened later on, but you know, stuff happens and you go on having said all that. So, so basically if you're giving out, you know, Snickers, three Musketeers, Milky Ways, York peppermint patties, um, I'm even okay with baby Ruth bars. I'm, I'm okay with, with M&Ms, I prefer the peanut M&Ms. I love the almond M&Ms, but the peanut M&Ms are better in my book. Ben and I actually had a long discussion about M&Ms the other night, about which ones were better and which ones were best. And we have concluded, I have concluded that the peanut ones are the, the best unless you can get the almonds. The pretzel ones are okay, but they're not, I don't know. They have that in and out burger chalk fries kind of effect on me sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. So they're good, but every now and then they kind of, what I can't abide and what I'm going to tell you right now, if you do this, you're, you're off my, you're on my S list. How's that? These things. I don't know who invented these things. The circus peanut. Number one, they are marshmallow. So, you know, I'm not going to eat them, but number two, they're horrific. They're radioactive. They're they must be, right? They've got that radioactive orange thing going to them. They're horrible. They're horrifying. Who thinks that these are good candy? They are not. They are horrifying. If you happen to be one of the people that likes these things for whatever reason, 
Well, like cigarettes. If they're so great, keep them in your car. Roll your windows up and keep them there. <sighs> don't, don't, don't force these on other people. Jeez. Here's the thing you need to understand. If you give these out on Halloween, they're just going to get thrown away. Nobody's going to eat them. They're horrifying. They're bad. They're nasty. They are disgusting, and I don't understand why people give them out. I really don't. They're terrible. Uh, hopefully, Ben will get none tonight. Hopefully, my grandchildren will get none of these tonight, and we won't have to worry about it. And then the other thing that I really hate on Halloween, and this was, Kai used to talk about this quite extensively, and that's the people who give out things like um, toothbrushes. Right. I want to make sure that you brush your teeth after Halloween because, you know, your parents aren't good enough to make sure you do that. So. So we're going to make sure that you uh, you get taken care of. So here's a toothbrush that you can, you know, because we're we care kind of approach to it. I hate you. I hate people that do that. I mean, first off, you're dealing with kids, not not responsible. The Halloween is not, is has nothing to do with adult responsibilities. It's all about enjoying the night as a kid. I mean, it really is. That's all it is. So you got to come along and put your toothbrushes in there or your carrot sticks or whatever and, and explain to people that somehow or another you're, you know, look at me. Let me pat myself on the back for doing something good because your parents won't do it for you. Like I don't tell Ben to brush his teeth every night. Well, I do. I mean, I tell him, and then I have to go back to him again, and then I usually have to tell him a third or fourth time, and then I usually have to go in there and watch him do it because, you know, he's a kid, and they don't do that if you, if you don't make them. So I don't really need you telling me to make my kid brush his teeth. And as if that isn't bad enough, of course, uh, you know, you got the, the, the circus peanuts, which are horrifying, but then you've got the people that, uh, you know these people, they have to put their religious tracks in there instead of candy. Oh, here's 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 a little comic book to tell you that you're going to hell if you don't believe the way I believe. Okay, we get it, we get it. Really, is this uh, is this necessary? But Dave, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to witness. I'm supposed to carry on. Really, you can't just you know, you can't just put some candy in there. Maybe some maybe some little hearts things that say Jesus loves you or something on them. You got it. You got to put that tract in there that says you're going to, have you ever read these tracks? You ever seen these? You're going to hell. If you don't believe the way we believe, they hate you. And, and you're worse. I'd rather have circus peanuts than those and circus peanuts are going to make me puke. So the people that do that can, you know, kiss off, I guess is the way the way kiss off. That's the blog post I wrote last night was kids kiss. Kiss is coming. Kiss, the band, is making their nat their international final tour. Have you seen this? Now, look, I was never in the Kiss Army or anything like that. But back in the '73, when they first started making, when they first started touring, you could get tickets for like eight bucks, five bucks if you wanted to sit in the balcony stuff like that. And I realized it was 1973 and it was a different, but but my allowance was five dollars a week, so I could go if I wanted to. I didn't want to. But uh, my parents would never let me go because, you know, Kiss was satanic and all that. Speaking of Halloween, you know what the tickets are to sit in the freaking back row of the balcony now? $76 plus tax plus convenience fees. And it's not even 
it's not even Kiss. It's it's half of Kiss and a couple of guys that they brought along to fill in, you know, to make up the rest of it. I don't want to. I'm not paying $76 for one ticket plus fees to sit in the back row to listen to Kiss. I, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I can listen to it on my Alexa or my uh, my iPad or whatever. I don't need to do it. Anyway, the, the, people, you don't need to do that. It's a, it's a fun holiday for kids. You don't, you don't even need to have the satanic overtones to it, you know, the scary stuff. You don't even need to do that. Just put some colorful candy in the bag and go, mm. of course, there's always candy corn, right? Candy corn is like the worst candy in the world, isn't it? And yet, nobody can stop eating it. I can't stop eating it. Can you? <laughs> you put a bunch of that stuff in front of me, I'm going to eat it, even though it tastes like freaking oil. I'm going to eat it. It's just the way I am. It's just the way we all are. It's just the way of things, I suppose, in the big, wide, wonderful world, right? So so there you go. Yeah, there's a lot of politics and stuff we could talk about today. We have the most expensive congressional race in the entire country right up here where I am and not in my district. I'm actually next door to the district, but this is the dumbest thing. And I don't. I'd love to talk about it, but I just don't feel like doing it today. I just really don't. This day is too important to me as a celebration of my life and a celebration of my shipmates and a celebration of my kids and grandkids. I just don't really care that much about who gets to sit in Congress for $175,000 a year, having having spent literally millions of dollars to get this job, as if somehow or another they're going to spend all this money to get this job and not be beholden to the people who spent it on their behalf, right? That's the part we're supposed to believe that somehow or another they spent all this money to get this job and they're going to be independent. They're going to be not beholden to special money and all that crap. What a load of nonsense that is. And I'm just, I'm fed up with it. Anyway, they can do all that tomorrow since we essentially already did constitution Thursday this week, yesterday, in the event that you missed it, but uh, we don't need to do that today. There's more important things to get onto today, and we're going to do that. I'm going to take a break a little bit early today. We come back. I'm going to tell you the story of October 31st, 1986. I'm going to tell it to you in, in, it's a sea story. I'm going to tell you the details that I remember, the things that I thought, the things that I experienced. Share with you why I'm so happy to be alive this day, all those 32 years later. Stay with us back right after this. This is the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. For the Podcast 99 Network, I'm Alex Ross with the news. An ex-nurse in Germany has admitted at the start of his trial that he murdered 100 patients. Detectives say Niels Hogel administered fatal doses of medication to people under his care in order to induce cardiac arrest at two hospitals in northern Germany. His motive, prosecutors say, was to impress colleagues by trying to revive the very patients he had attacked. Hogel, age 41, is already serving a life term for six other deaths, and he is now said to have killed 36 patients in oldest 
Oldenburg and 64 in nearby Delmenhorst between 1999 and 2005. The current trial, which began with a moment of silence for the victims, is expected to last until May, and it comes after years of toxicology tests on 130 sets of exhumed remains. When asked by the judge of the Oldenburg court if the charges against him were true, Hochul confessed to more or less all of them. A scientist accused of murder in Antarctica stabbed his colleague because he was fed up with the man telling him the endings of books. Scientific engineer Sergei Savitsky, age 55, became enraged and stabbed welder Oleg Balaguzov, age 52, with a kitchen knife. The two men had previously spent four years together at an isolated Russian research station and read books to pass the time. After being attacked for spoiling the endings, Balaguzov was evacuated to Chile for emergency surgery and is expected to live. Salvitsky was deported to Russia and arrested and is now the first and only man ever accused of attempted murder in Antarctica and on this day in history in 1961. Five years after Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev denounced Stalinism and the personality cult of Soviet rulers, Joseph Stalin's embalmed body is removed from Lenin's tomb in Moscow's Red Square. For the Podcast 99 Network, I'm Alex Ross. There's a lot at stake this November. 36 governorships. 35 Senate seats. And all 435 House seats are up for election. If only 50% of voters show up, it would be the highest midterm turnout in a century. Learn more and get involved at IamAVoter.com. And don't forget to vote Tuesday, November 6th. Brought to you by I Am A Voter and the Ad Council. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. You are listening to The Dave Bowman Show on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Homeward bound, coast of New England. The Navy. See a recruiter or call toll free. It's not just a job, it's an adventure. The silent, mobile, and elusive fleet ballistic missile submarines are the most survivable element in our nation's strategic forces. And so we come to Patrol 13. It was 
known to me before we left that this was going to be my last patrol. I had uh, re-enlisted some time before, got a star school out of it, sea school. And after a long discussion with Joe Adamson, Mofuck, Master Chief Joe Adamson, uh, I had decided not to go to the tender sea school for fire controlmen, and I decided to go to Poseidon sea school. I was going to go uh, backfit with the hopes of maybe catching one of the last end of the uh, the C-3 Poseidon patrols. I did not, as it turned out, but uh, that was the hope. And, and Joe had said to me, uh, Dave, I know you. You want to take this school. You you want to take Poseidon Fire Control. He was right. I did. I loved the uh, the Mark 88 Mod 1 fire, uh, fire control system. That's the second biggest regret of my Navy career uh, is that I didn't get to go to sea on it. I'm so jealous of the people who did. It's a fantastic system. And it's... Uh, it's really being fire control. At any rate, I knew it was my last patrol. Um, things were different, I guess. Uh, most of the guys had left. Uh, Mitch was gone. Bob was gone. Ed was gone. Mike was gone. Uh, the, the changeover had been uh, complete from when I when I arrived. Uh, when I was when I arrived, I think w- there were seven of us. One was married. Uh, when I left, when I was getting ready to leave, there were seven of us, and I was the only one who wasn't married. Uh, it was, uh, it wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we had new people. Sam Thacker, uh, Dennis uh, Scooter Weiss had been there for a couple of patrols, actually three or four patrols. And uh, prior to going out on Patrol Thirteen, Scooter was one of those guys who drive you nuts. I loved him. But in addition to Noodles Jefferson fame, uh, he spent the entire refit for Patrol 13, getting ready to go on Patrol 13, whining, and I mean whining, about his back. Oh, my back. He couldn't do anything. Hey, Scooter, we need you to do that. Oh, my back. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. And he pissed me off so bad. I, I actually yelled at him one day. I was pretty ag- mad about, you know, look, if you're really hurt, get your ass to, to you know, the sick bay and get something done. This is ridiculous. You can't, you can't get out of everything whining like this. And he just looked at me, and he had that kind of look in his eyes, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know what I mean? And I backed off of it. I didn't, to the, to, at the time, I couldn't tell you why, but I backed off of it. Anyway, he was really pissing people off. Um, our LPO, whose name I cannot remember. We called him Rob, but that was not his name. Cannot remember. We had uh, Fox had come on board. Um, I don't really remember who all was there at that point, because more mofuck was there. Uh, and And... It was just a different feel. We were still really good, and we were ready to go to sea. But it wasn't like it was at the beginning for me. I, I it was, it was still interesting and it was exciting, and I had things I wanted to do. Um, I was going to finish up my TMOW torpedo in the watch calls. I was going to start on uh, chief of the boat stuff. But at the same time, I had that kind of short timers. Mm, it's my last run. Who cares? Kind of attitude. Um, as I said to someone the other day, uh, getting ready for Patrol 13, I was in the best physical condition of my life. Um, I had just taken the PFT, and uh, normally my times were in that we had to run a mile and a quarter, mile and a half, and the max time was 1345. Most of my times through my career were 1344, 1342. I'd just done it in, I think, right around nine and a half minutes. I was in great shape at the time. And uh, things were... Things were looking up. Career-wise, it was uh, it was going really well. A couple of uh, days before 
I, I had a Saturday off on Liberty, as I recall. We went to uh, some friends of mine went to Port Townsend, and it was in Port Townsend that I saw the newspaper with the picture of the K two one nine on it, the the Soviet submarine that we talked about that blew herself up and managed to survive. One of my friends asked me, "Are are you scared? Could something like that happen to you?" And of course, of course not. Nothing like that could happen to us. Number one, we're not the Russians. Number two, we're really good. And number three, no, I'm not scared of anything, not not related to this. And we went through refit, and refit, well, like I said, was uh, scooter whining the whole time. Oh my back! Oh my back! I so mad at him. That's the one thing I really remember, just being so mad at him. We did uh, sea trials, day by day. Came back, got ready to go. You know, do the stores unload. Everything was set, and for whatever reason, the day we left. And I'm kind of confused because I don't know how you count the days. But I believe it was Sunday the 19th. And for whatever reason, we left in the afternoon, which was kind of unusual for us. Normally, we left uh, in the morning or to midday. We left in the afternoon. Literally, when we got to the dive point, close the hatch, ship goes under. Now, we've got nothing on the schedule for this trip. We're not going to Hawaii. We're not doing a follow-on test. Nothing. This is 80 days of boredom. As soon as that hatch closes and that ship's underwater, Scooter goes to the damn dock, and it turns out he's got a freaking hernia. Okay, he didn't he didn't want to say anything because we only had three fire control soups: himself, me, and Rob, our LPO. And he didn't want to say anything because he thought if I'm not there, they're only gonna have two soups. They're gonna be important starboard duty, and so he literally manipulated that until the hatch was closed. Then he got basically on light duty. He didn't have to do any lifting or field day or anything like that, but he could stand watch because, you know, we're fire controlmen. What do we do? We sit on our ass for six hours at a time. So <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch, you should have told me. You should have told me. I would have kept your secret. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have told anybody. So they had a short discussion about whether or not they were going to put him off or not, and they decided no, it wasn't that serious. Uh, but when we get back, obviously, he was going to have to go to the hospital for surgery. And so we headed out. And for the first uh, 12 days or so, we did drills. We did, you know, the standard stuff you do on patrol. We're getting ready to go uh, to 2SQ. We're getting ready to cover targets. We did tube entries all day, installing missile inverters into the missile tubes, uh, get ready to, to go alert coverage at midnight that night. And I had the evening watch. So I had the last watch before we go alert coverage, the 18 to 24, along with John Scott. I was standing fire control soup. John was the launcher watch. And we had for dinner that night Mongolian barbecue. Now, as I recall, it was the only time on the menu in Six Patrols that I'd seen it. Never heard of it, didn't know what it was, found it to be delicious. I, it was one of my favorite meals. It really was. Um, it, to the point that I eat it today because I enjoy it. It's, it was something really, really cool, and it's something really delicious that I like. I, I don't know why it was on the menu that night. I have no idea. It was coincidence. Or as we used to say, quinkadink. We finished meals, and uh, I had a thing about, you know, being on time <laughs> to relieve watches. So at 17:24, John L. Scott and I are standing in the control room at the uh, the captain's night orders there on the panel, and we are reviewing and signing the captain's night orders. These are the, the orders that the captain puts together for each watch that says, you know, do this, do this, do this any special thing that we didn't know about, and every senior watch station has to sign off on them that they've seen them and acknowledge them. 
As we were standing there at 1725, Mofuck, Master Chief Adamson's on the dive. I don't remember who had the chief of the watch, but uh, Dave Fritch, Lieutenant Dave Fritch, was on the con, weapons officer. And there was a, there was a, an ear popping, you know, pressure, overpressure that popped people's ears kind of thing with a really dull thump. And it was confusing because nothing should have been happening. I mean, literally, we're five minutes from changing the watch. Um, we're getting ready to go patrol quiet. Nothing's happening right now. This is strange. Joe turned around to, to Lieutenant Fritch and said, did you do something with high-pressure air? And Lieutenant Fritch looked at, at, at Joe and said, well, I didn't do anything with... And before he could finish the sentence, the 4MC sounded, fire in the engine... <laughs> Click. Now, normally, the oncoming watch goes to the crew's mess and the uh, for the damage control party. The offgoing watch then goes to the scene of the of the uh, the casualty. The assumption being that they're more awake than the oncoming watch. But again, we're literally now five minutes from the change of watch. The guys that were offgoing six hours ago are exhausted. They've been drilling all day. They've been cleaning. They've been drilling. They've been cleaning and drilling and qualifying. They're, they're out. They've been dead for two hours asleep. So John and I headed down the ladder. You know, on a submarine, you go down the ladder, Ben. You grab the... This is how I showed you to do it on the, on the uh, Pampanito over in San Francisco. You grab the thing with your hands, you lift up your legs, and you slide down it as quickly as you can. As I went down the ladder uh, in front of John L., just as I got halfway down, Lieutenant, or as ensign as he was then, uh, Hal Skoog turned the corner, headed up towards control. He was the oncoming, uh, I believe, junior officer of the deck, but he might have been the officer of the deck. And I hit him full right in the chest with my feet, drove him back into the 6A switchboard, and said, excuse me, sir, <laughs> and turned left and ran down the passageway past Missile Control Center. Scooter was standing in the door. I said, do you know what's going on? I said, no. Flipped through the hatch. Um, John L. was right behind me. We booked it back to the to the back end of of uh, missile compartment. Grabbed a couple fire extinguishers, went up the ladder, through the reactor compartment door, and into the reactor compartment tunnel, which goes back to the engine room. We took about four steps, as I recall, and came to a dead stop. The room was complete. I mean, you could see it wasn't like we expected with a fire. With a fire, you expect dark smoke. We didn't. We kind of expected that. My plan was to grab an EAB as I was passing through there if I needed one, um, but we weren't sure. When we got into that door, we took a couple of steps. It was just this white mist that was like fog, and you couldn't see through it. I mean, you put your hand out that far. You couldn't see it. It was It would disappear. It was bizarre. It was... I, now I know what it was, but at the moment I didn't know. And at the, as it turned out, what it was was basically atomized hydraulic oil, vaporized hydraulic oil. We kind of figured at that point that our fire extinguishers weren't going to do anything. Chucked them into the outboard, went back through the door and started rigging the fire hose uh, back towards the engine room and through the uh, to the engine room door, which, of course, had now been closed. We were headed to the surface. Of course, that's the first thing. Uh, Mr. Fritch and, and Joe did was get us on the surface, which was really a brilliant thing to do. I was told later by somebody else who uh, who had opportunity to look outside the ship that, that, that the sea was calm as glass. It was just this 
just reflecting stars. I mean, it was just like like somebody had poured oil on it. It was just still. And I remember thinking at the time, <laughs> I was in control, and uh, I was thinking to myself at the time, yeah, it's just like the night the Titanic sank. And I, and I kind of started chuckling to myself, and people were looking at me like, what's he doing? <laughs> anyway, point being that uh, they got us on the surface, and so we were we were getting ready to rig the, the hose through there. And then it just kind of became a blur to me. Um, I can only tell you what I remember of the moments. We never did run the fire hose through because there never was a fire. It never did catch fire, which is miraculous, as I understand the whole situation. The fact that it didn't detonate is unbelievable. But through a combination of skill, training, abilities, and just plain luck, it, it didn't detonate. It didn't, it didn't blow up. Nothing caught fire. And we were able to ventilate the ship and get that, the atmosphere cleared, which briefly, Eric, some of you A-gangers may remember this. I don't remember us ever having a problem starting the diesel to ventilate ever, except for that night. For some reason that night, the diesel wouldn't start or didn't start. And, and we ended up ventilating with the fans. Does any, anybody else remember that? We, we ventilated with the fans, and that's how we got it. And that's why it took like an hour and a half, two hours to, to ventilate the whole thing out. At any rate, uh, the next thing I really remember was being in Machinery 2 upper level there by the hatch uh, to the reactor uh, tunnel hatch. And a senior officer, the EXO was there with us for some reason. And I think he had just come out of the engine room. Th there was a senior engineering officer with him. It was not the engineer uh, who had a, a handful of chem wipes. Now, chem wipes, uh, for those of you who don't know, are like paper towels that have really strong, they're, they're really strong paper towels. They're very absorbent and they have fibers running through them so that they, they don't tear. They're great. Wish I could find some now. Uh, but they're also ubiquitous on a submarine. He had a handful of these things that were covered with oil clean oil. It wasn't dirty oil. It was it was clean. It was very yellowish, very uh, very clean oil. And the EXO said, Dave, come here, or Bowman, come here, is what he said. He would never call me Dave. Bowman, come here. So I came over there, and he looked at me. He says, I need you to take something to control. I can't, it's, it's, I have to show them this. It can't, can't go over the phones. And this officer handed me these chem wipes. And as I'm holding them, he says to me, take these two to the control room, that's where the engineer is right now, and show him these. Make sure you show him, and he opened it up, and he said, make sure you show him the metal filings that are in this oil. Aye, aye, sir. And I went to control, and of course the engineer was not there. Uh, he and the captain were in the radio room, which normally, uh, when you're on, you know, alert coverage is, is you know, <laughs> verboten to to people like me, even though I had a top-secret PSI clearance. But in this particular case, let me in the door, and there in the radio room, standing in that very crowded, very small radio room, uh, I showed the engineer and the captain, Captain Bombstark, the, the chem wipes, making sure to point out the metal filings in there. And I remember the engineer's response was, Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And he wouldn't stop saying that. <laughs> and the captain was just silent. I mean, he was just stoic about the whole thing, and he was just silent. By that point, 
they'd figured out what had happened to a degree. They figured out what the smoke was. Uh, there was a 1MC announcement for the OBA wearing firefighters to get the hell out of the engine room. Uh, well, oxygen breathing apparatus, OBA, comes with a chlorate candle that burns at very high temperature. So here's another spark source potentially in this vaporized hydraulic oil. Um, so they got those guys out of there. And then we ventilated, and 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 sucked in air. And I, I vaguely, I have this, this, I have this deep remembrance of this diesel not starting. And people really, uh, A-gang really trying to get that diesel to start, and it just wouldn't, and the diesel would have sucked out air, you know, really quickly, whereas opposed to the fans, which take quite a while. Um, I don't remember why, but it wouldn't start. That's my recollection of it. So, there we were on the surface, and essentially what had happened, now again, this is my understanding of things. I left the boat shortly after this patrol, never saw the official report, never saw the lessons learned, none of that. As I understand it, what had happened was the EPM clutch, the emergency propulsion motor clutch in the main engine, main reduction gear, had never fully disengaged. We were doing some maneuvering that that caused that that clutch to spark inside of the system. Uh, it'd be like your your clutch in your car sparking inside there. Uh, and it, it basically ignited the oil inside the engine, which then, you know, expands because it blows up, essentially. It found a weak point, which was at the thrust-bearing collar, and it blew that rubber that rubber thrust-bearing collar to smithereens. I don't think they ever found a piece of that more than an inch wide. I really don't. That thing was just, it's just a rubber boot that sits around the screw, right? And that thing just went to pieces. Well, essentially what that mean was we basically have a giant hole in our oil system for the engines. Now, if you think about your car, that's a problem, right? I mean, you can't drive your car with an oil system that's that's leaking. That's why you fix oil leaks. Um, but in the middle of the Gulf of Alaska, there, there aren't very many service stations or places where you can pull in and have your oil leak checked and fixed. And so uh, we were headed back to Bangor, and uh, we never got over, I don't think we ever got over three knots going home. Uh, we did one time. They they cranked the speed up to, I think, as I recall, eight or ten knots, and the engines were just back, 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 back. I mean, you could just hear the gears slapping against each other and grinding and screaming, and it was like, oh, my God, stop. 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 And it was just horrible because, you know, the noise and, of course, that's what submarines want to avoid. So they slowed it back down and we went we went very slowly home. Uh, I would find out later from a new friend when I was on uh, shore duty that had been on the Jackson at the time that they got extended a couple of weeks to cover our target packages um, that we were supposed to take that night. And they weren't real happy. And, and then they found out what happened. And then they were kind of like, whoosh. Um, it's one of those things where, in retrospect, I know intellectually we were never really in serious danger. Is that a good way to put that? But we didn't know that at the time. And even even given that, there was a moment where we could have been uh, in, in grave danger if we hadn't been alert and well-trained and, quite frankly, a little bit lucky. And so I kind of look at that day as... A second birthday, I guess. A year later, uh, Gordon Abrams, who was a missile tech at the same time, had had also come to Virginia Beach the same time I did. And we ended up renting an apartment together. And a year later, 
we had a uh, a minor celebration on October 31st to commemorate uh, the day, which uh, led to some interesting interactions with our neighbors who were both females uh, at the time as well. Anyway, putting that story aside, the uh, the upshot of it was we were safe. We were just we didn't have any propulsion to speak of. We could go about three knots, and that was it. Which of course means we're not going to be covering targets. Uh, we're we're headed back to Bangor, and the whole way we're headed back, of course, we're cleaning up this oil, which is of everywhere. I mean, the oil is just. I mean, we, we used every chem wipe and everything, and then you have an engine that doesn't really have an oil system. Uh, the the nukes back there, the uh, the engineers folks, came up with a brilliant. I mean, you can't. I, I know nukes and coners don't get along all that well, but these guys were. They came up with a brilliant solution. They built a bubble out of plastic bags. EB green tape and plastic tubing, which for some reason we called Tigon. I don't remember why, but um, and, and they built it around where the the uh, bearing collar had blown out, <laughs> and, and so the oil would flow through, get to that point, drop out into the plastic bag, which would then would feed it back through the tubing back into the reservoir, and that's how we cycled the oil back all the way uh, back to Banger. Uh, we got to Banger, of course, they immediately put us in dry dock because. Uh, they didn't. Well, they didn't put us immediately on the dry dock. They put us at, at the Delta Pier. Uh, I went home that night because I was the only one who wasn't married, and nobody was expecting anybody. Scared the living crap out of my friends. Uh, picked up my car, so I thought we were going to be in uh, port for a while. I was coming to work the next morning, coming up that little hill uh, just past Silverdale as you head into to uh, up Highway 3 before you make the left turn into Banger. Blew my clutch to smithereens. Just blew it to pieces. Got it towed into the Chevron station that used to be there. Um, called the boat. Scooter answers the phone, and I said, Scooter, I'm going to be late. My my clutch blew. I'm on my way. And he says, don't worry. The ship's sinking anyway. Hang up. I'm like, yeah, right. So, of course, I get to the boat. Finally, uh, the, the chief of the boat, the blue crew, actually picked me up and took me all the way in. Uh, get to the boat. <laughs> They've got a constant low-pressure blow going on. Apparently, the force of the explosion... Uh, took out a couple of the baffles in, I think it was main ballast tank four. And so the ship was basically sinking at the pier. So they got a constant low pressure blow going. They put us in dry dock, fixed the whole thing, and we get ready to go back out to sea. Mm, roughly two weeks later, week, two weeks later, I don't remember. I vague, I have this vague memory of it being ready to go on the 13th of November and somehow or another not wanting to go. On the 13th. See, it was patrol 13. It was 13 days out of port. Propulsion lube oil has 13 letters. Uh, tube 13 had been leaking. Uh, you know, it was just all these 13s. And somehow or another, we didn't go on the 13th. We ended up going on the 14th. I don't really know why. Wasn't privy to those discussions. We headed back out. And I'm telling you that for the rest of that patrol, we tried to break things and we couldn't break them. Um, it, it just, it was like, Magic. I don't really know what happened. Everything was fine from that point on, except, of course, Scooter, who had a hernia, ends up getting left behind, and yours truly ends up in port and starboard uh, watch sections for uh, fire control supervisor because now we only have two of us instead of uh, the the normal common common complement of three. Sorry, I don't know why I can't say that word. Uh, Sam Thacker was trying to get qualified, but he wasn't wasn't quite there yet. and and we weren't just going to rush it just just for that. We ended up splitting it. I wanted to go 12s. I wanted to go noon to midnight, midnight to noon. But 
uh, Rob, who's the LPO, said, nope, we're doing sixes, and I'm taking the mid-watch and the 12-6. to six. Now, his thinking was, the mid-watch, of course, is very quiet. Um, nobody's going to really notice if you... a little bit. Um, and the afternoon watch is the drill watch, so you don't get any sleep anyway. I ended up with the 6-12s, to 6-12, to 12-18, or I'm um, 18-24, to 24, and it was perfect, man. I mean, that was the best that was people were expecting me to be completely hydroed completely wasted and joe was amazed he says he says you're you're thriving with this and i said i really am it's like a work day i mean it really is i get up at i get up at 4:45 take a quick shower go eat breakfast come up here stand my watch from 6 to 12 you know we got training and do maintenance whatever and in the afternoon i do you know whatever i run i work out i watch a movie i i read i work on calls or whatever uh, drills then I come back in and I work for the evening shift, which is, you know, not, I mean, it wasn't strenuous or anything. And we're alert for the most of it. And then I go to bed. As soon as I get off watch, I just crash and it was perfect. I mean, it was really the best. When we went back to three section watch, I was more tired than I was on two section. It was, uh, it was kind of surprising. I don't want to give you the misunderstanding that it wasn't a, a scary thing. I was more scared, like most people, after it. Than before. During it, it was amazing. This is what I talk about with the drills going, drills go completely Charlie Foxtrot. When this was happening, the phones were silent. Uh, people were handling things. They were doing things. They were, everything was perfect. It was, I, I, I don't really know how to describe it. Uh, Greg Thompson was my counterpart in the Blue Crew when we got back. Said, Dave, I'm, I'm glad it was you guys. I don't know that we would have handled it as well. I, I took that as a compliment. But for years after that, I mean, it's been 31 years since that happened, or will be 31 years this year. I'm not going to tell you it doesn't bother me. It, it, it does. It, there are times when I look at, at you, Ben, and there are times when I, when I look at my life now and I think, what if? What, what if just one thing had gone differently? What if, you know, something, what if we hadn't known what it was? And those chlorate candles caused a problem what if it had been just a little bit worse what if what if we had been further out what if we'd have been you know who knows you can you can what if it to death and sometimes your mind when it's you know late at night and you're you're laying there and you're thinking about those things sometimes your mind does take you down those paths and it's just a reminder to me that the sea is always trying to kill you it really is the ocean will kill you in a heartbeat if you let it but you got to stay on top of it. You got to stay alert. You got to be well trained. And that's what I tell people that uh, are going to see today when they ask me about those kind of things is take your damage control courses and take them seriously because someday they're going to save your life. They're going to save your ass. And you don't know how serious an event it's going to be. And you'll be thankful that you did. And you will be eternally grateful years later when you when you make a mistake like I did and get out of the Navy and you don't make any more patrols. It's uh, it's a night I never forget. And it's a night that when we got back after that patrol, we would, uh, we would talk about. But it was the, it was the last patrol I ever made. And I have a lot, of, uh, a lot of memories more of that night than I do of any other time on the ship. I really do. It was uh, an honor to be with you guys that are out there still. And uh, 
I think that we were the best crew, and I think we were the best trained, and I think we were the most lucky. And I'm glad as all heck to have been part of it. And I wish that uh, I get the chance to see you all again as soon as possible. That was Patrol 13. Hey there, I uh, finished my last menial tedious task to prove my commitment to getting qualified. Can I get a checkout now? Sure, right after you feed the shaft seals. <sighs> but uh, the uh, shaft seals are actually a series of interlocks and safety mechanisms that ensure the integrity surrounding the ship's main propulsion shaft, and not nautical mammals. But I'll go feed them if you want. <laughs>